Welcome to a Crime from Hail podcast. I'm your host, Haley Dameron, and I invite you to join me as I tell you the very real stories of the murdered and the missing. And hey, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to put a disclaimer that this podcast may contain disturbing and triggering topics that is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of A Crime From Hail podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who showed me love and support on episode one. You guys have no idea how much it means to me. Everyone that listened, subscribed, followed us on Instagram, shared their podcast with their friends. Like, you guys have no idea how much appreciation I have for you guys. Like, it means so much to me that you guys wanted to take time out of your day to listen to my podcast and to share it with your friends. It blows my mind, but enough chit-chat. Let's get into today's case. Has something ever happened to you in your life that has felt like a total anomaly? That the universe had to align just ever so precisely for it to unfold exactly the way it did? Some people may describe that this happened when they met their significant other or to get a certain job opportunity. But today's story is one of a more tragic anomaly. One that would lead to 23 long years of unanswered questions in a small rural community's search for justice. Early in the morning of Wednesday, January 7th, 1998, in the small community of Rayford, North Carolina, Connie Chavez begins to wake her five-year-old daughter, Brittany Lynn Locklear. At around 6.30 a.m. that morning, Brittany was your average, playful five-year-old little girl. She loved playing with dolls, and her favorite things included Pocahontas, McDonald's, and going to church. It was a rainy and cold winter morning, and it was so early that it was still dark and hard to see outside. However, Connie needed to ensure Brittany was up and ready for school in time to get on the bus that morning. Brittany got dressed and put on a green and white softball t-shirt, green denim coveralls, and her green and pink tennis shoes with white socks and a matching green tie for her hair. She slipped on her red winter coat and her mother Connie walked her to the end of the driveway to wait for the school bus to arrive. The school bus happened to be running late that particular morning due to the bus having a substitute driver that day. As Connie waited with her daughter for the bus, the urge for her to use the bathroom became unbearable. She needed to get to the restroom quickly. And since she knew the bus would be there any moment, she made what seemed to be a very harmless decision to leave Brittany at the end of the driveway to wait for the bus and quickly run inside to use the restroom. I mean, it would only take Connie just a few minutes to run inside and use the restroom, 
and return outside to see Brittany off to school on the bus. It really seemed like no big deal. Though when Connie returns outside, she notices Brittany is gone. This doesn't worry her at first, and she just figures that the bus had arrived finally, and Brittany went ahead and got on. I mean, at this time, that is the only thought Connie had in her head, and it makes the most sense that her daughter had gotten on the bus and was on her way to school, just like any other day. That was until Connie's neighbor, Rose Johnson, who lived in a trailer about 600 yards away, knocks on Connie's front door and tells her she thinks Brittany had just been kidnapped and that her and her family just saw what they described as a man in a truck stop at Connie's driveway where Brittany had been waiting for the bus and get out and throw something in his truck and speed off. Once he sped off, they said, they noticed Brittany was gone. Now, Connie is confused and in denial of what Rose was telling her. I mean, it made no sense. They lived in a very rural area, and Connie had literally only been inside using the bathroom for less than a few minutes. There was no way in Connie's mind that someone could have taken her baby in a split second. Trying to remain calm and not jump to the worst-case scenario too quickly, Connie calls her father-in-law, James Stevens, to drive her down to the school so she can verify whether or not Brittany made it on to the bus and to school. She didn't want to freak out and call the police right away and end up feeling embarrassed and Brittany actually just be at the school like she had thought. When Connie arrives at the school, however, she is met with the terrifying news that Brittany never got on the school bus that morning. Connie is in a full-blown panic, as any parent would be when facing the reality that their child has very possibly just been abducted from their own driveway. She immediately calls the sheriff's department to report that Brittany was missing and that she believes someone had abducted her daughter. It was immediately that Hope County Sheriff's Department's number one priority was to find Brittany. Deputies took to the scene of the abduction and began conducting interviews of the members of Rose Johnson's family of four, who had claimed they witnessed this abduction. They needed a description of the truck and person who had taken this little girl. To have an eyewitness was so promising in the early hours of this investigation, and they spared no time trying to get a description of the perpetrator and his vehicle out to the public. But that wouldn't be as straightforward as they hoped. See, each family member had somewhat different and conflicting descriptions of the incident. Due to it being dark outside and hard to get a clear and detailed look of the suspect. But from their statements, they determined that this was possibly a white male driving a brown or tan truck. The sheriff of Hope County at the time, Wayne Bird, issued a warning that anyone with a brown truck would be stopped and questioned. Several roadblocks were set up and over 500 volunteers that included many Fort Bragg soldiers and firefighters stepped up in the efforts of locating Brittany. Later that same day, 
Just three miles from where Brittany was taken, volunteers came across Brittany's backpack and her clothes. This was when the sheriff's department and Brittany's family knew that the chance of them locating Brittany alive was going to be slim. And that nightmare would only be confirmed the following day on January 8, 1998, around 1.30 p.m., when Brittany's partially naked and lifeless body was discovered in a drainage ditch just three miles from her home. Brittany had been raped, drowned, and discarded in this drainage ditch, and due to where her body was found, it was difficult to determine when exactly Brittany was killed. It could have been moments after her abduction, and it could have even been while volunteers were searching for her. Despite thousands of tips coming in and Hope County Sheriff Wayne Byrd bringing in the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation into the case to help manage the influx of tips and leads they were receiving and really unable to keep up with as a small rural sheriff's department, the search for answers would lead to more questions. They quickly ruled out Connie, as well as Brittany's father, who lived in Pembroke, North Carolina at the time, and other members of Brittany's family, including her stepfather, Charles, and step-grandfather, James. In further investigation on who would want to take Brittany, investigators believed that Brittany had known the person who took her, or at least was familiar with the person. Rose Johnson and her family had even said they didn't notice Brittany putting up any struggle with this person when he took her. They believed this person was well-versed in the area and would have most likely known when the school buses would make their stops, and that the perpetrator acted upon impulse, and that when he saw Brittany standing at the end of the driveway alone, it was an opportunity for him to commit this crime. Now, the FBI did a profile of the killer where they said this person was probably watching the searches for Brittany unfold, and it is very likely he could have even been involved with the searches. A year later, in January of 1999, a man by the name of Jim Davis would be elected as the new Hoke County Sheriff. Sheriff Jim Davis would vow to solve Brittany's case and be the one to bring justice to her family. At first, this gave Connie and the rest of Brittany's family a lot of hope of finding the monster who took their baby away from them, but they would eventually become very distasteful with Sheriff Jim Davis. Instead of taking a new look at Brittany's case with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective, Jim Davis really believed that members of the family were cleared too quickly in the investigation. Despite their willingness to provide whatever information investigators needed and remains cooperative the entire investigation, Sheriff Jim Davis even went as far as specifically saying Connie's father-in-law, James Stevens, was responsible for Brittany's murder and tried intimidating James into a confession. Davis even showed pictures of Brittany's half-naked and lifeless body to James to pressure him into admitting to the crimes. 
James, however, stuck by his innocence and there was never evidence found linking James to Brittany's murder. This all really upset Brittany's family, and rightfully so. Furthermore, in 2002, an election year for Sheriff in Hope County, Sheriff Jim Davis called for a news conference to talk about Brittany's case. However, he had no new information to share at the time. Connie Chavez aunt had attended this conference and actually walked out midway through the conference outraged as she felt Davis was only using Britney's case to help him with re-election. However, Jim Davis would lose that election to Hubert Peterkin, who would become the new sheriff of Hoke County and to this day remains the Hoke County Sheriff. It was less than a year into Sheriff Peterkin's term that investigators thought they had made a huge break in the case when they stumbled upon a possible suspect. In August of 2002, Carthage police arrested a Fort Bragg firefighter, Keith Laundry, in a bank robbery. As other firefighters at the station Keith worked cleaned out his locker, they found a picture of Brittany. The SBI said this photo was a clipping from the newspaper and it was never said why exactly Keith had this photo of her and his things. However, after comparing Keith's DNA to DNA samples taken from the body and scene of the crime, it was not a match. Sheriff Peterkin would form a cold case team that would go door to door taking DNA samples from known sex offenders within a 50 mile radius of where the crime occurred in hopes they would one day find their match. To this day, Hope County Sheriff's Department, as well as the SBI, continue to follow up on leads and continue to ask the public for any information they have regarding Brittany's case. No matter how small or unimportant it may seem, the smallest of details could be the missing puzzle piece that could crack this case wide open and lead to the justice being served for Brittany and her family. In the early weeks of the case, law enforcement received nearly 1,600 tips and still only one lead remains prominent. A man, possibly white, in a brown pickup truck that was seen by several witnesses. This case has remained unsolved now for 23 years. This was a beautiful little girl. She reminds me so much of my own daughter and she's around the same age. She was just five years old waiting for her school bus. Her mother has lived every day since her murder, feeling the guilt of those short minutes she left Brittany at the bus stop alone. Brittany has a little sister that was just 18 months at the time of the murder, who has had to grow up without a sister, and a family who has feared to let her out of their sights for more than just a second. Brittany's family described her as the sweetest girl you'd ever know, and they often wonder who she would be today. Her mother Connie longs for the day her murderer is caught and she is able to see to it her daughter gets the justice she deserves. Brittany's case has completely haunted me. Though even after 23 years since her murder, I truly believe Brittany's case will one day soon be solved.
and her perpetrator will be caught. Something that stuck in my mind while doing my research is the possibility of this case being solved by Parabon's Snapshot Advanced DNA Analysis. Parabon is a DNA technology company that has made several recent advances in DNA sequencing and analysis. They've developed a way to find leads from forensic DNA by combining genetic genealogy, DNA phenotyping, and kinship analysis. Their technology has led to the capture of high-profile killers such as the Golden State Killer. And guys, listen, I am not a scientist or am I knowledgeable in forensics whatsoever, but I do know that the advances Parabon has made in the world of crime solving is out of this world amazing. And I urge you to take a closer look at what they're doing in your free time. But I truly believe that this could be a really promising direction for Brittany's case to take if North Carolina is willing to open the door to the possibilities of utilizing Parabon's snapshot analysis. Now, another way that Brittany's case could one day be solved is simply by people sharing what they may know. No matter how small of a detail it may seem, if you saw something or you know or heard something regarding Brittany's abduction and murder, please say something. You never know what tip, big or small, could be the key to solving the case. Talk about Brittany. Keep her name and story being heard, especially my listeners local to North Carolina. This little girl and her family have waited far too long for the justice they deserve. If you or anyone you know has information on Brittany's murder, please call the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation at 800-334-3000. There is a $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person and persons responsible for the murder of Brittany Locklear. Thanks again for listening to a Crime from Hail podcast. If you liked today's episode, please consider supporting me by subscribing and sharing the podcast with your true crime-loving friends. Oh, and if you want to be in the loop on future episodes, chat theories, and request cases you'd like to see covered in the future, head over and follow us on Instagram at a Crime from Hail podcast.